0: Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21 Radio. This is episode 254. We were looking at the prophetic teaching of St. Irenaeus, and from there... We dealt with the question of the millennium, and today I would like to just talk about the different prophetic schools or the schools of thought, and there are some distinctions we need to keep clear, and so I have three major points I'm going to try to get across today, but the first, and I really probably should be mentioning this more often— what I'm calling the Augustinian view, and if you just heard our little intro uh, piece, it says, you know, the prophetic views of St. Augustine. This is the tradition of St. Augustine. Well, that view is called the Amillennial view or the Amill view to be short. But I want to emphasize that the Amill view, which is the Augustine view, uh, isn't unique to Catholics. There are many protestants who believe the amill view and we don't hear as much about it because the tv and radio broadcast and a lot of the popular books on biblical prophecy from the evangelical world aren't from the many protestants that hold to the amill view but just kind of going back in time did you know that both martin luther and John Calvin were amillennialists. Uh, This is something that uh, the, quote, rapture at any moment school uh, doesn't bring up when they talk about prophecy and the Reformers. But even in recent history, uh, the great Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper was amill. One of my uh, professors in seminary, Dr. J. I. Packer, who passed away rather recently, was amill. Uh, Many Calvinist and Reformed Protestants to this day are Amil, and believe it or not, today I was looking around the website of the Missouri Synod Lutherans, who are Amil, and I found perhaps one of the most succinct, clear, and informative summaries of these three schools of thought there's amill and pre-mill. There's also post I haven't d- talked a lot about it because I just didn't want to confuse you between these two are hard enough to understand. But um, on the Liz- Missouri Synod Lutheran website, there's a little booklet really posted online. What about the new millennium? And it's very clear presentation of the amill viewpoint. So again, my first point, And really, a main point, this isn't something to divide Catholics and Protestants. Uh, There's many that we hear from in the media, you think all Protestants believe in the rapture at any moment theory, and that's just not the case. Now, the second point, and this is a claim that's made rather stridently by those who hold the pre-mill viewpoint, especially those who are of the rapture-at-any-moment pre-mill variety. There's three different groups of pre-mill. I'll talk about that in a minute. But they claim that the pre-mill viewpoint takes the Bible more literally, and hence they think that's superior And specifically, they take the 1,000 years mentioned multiple times in Revelation 20, they take it literally. Now, I have a quote here from one of the grandfathers of the whole rapture-at-any-moment movement, Tim LaHaye, one of the two authors of the Left Behind novels. And he says that the golden rule of biblical interpretation is that when the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense— seek no other sense, but take every word at its primary literal meaning, unless the facts of the immediate context clearly indicate otherwise. Well, this is an appeal to common sense, which is unfortunately also an appeal to a rather subjective evaluation. Now, you don't go and just take something literally unless the context appears to you to appear otherwise. What you want to do in any word study in the New Testament is that you do look at the context. You look in the context of the sentence, the paragraph, Maybe the whole book and maybe the other pieces of literature that same author wrote in the New Testament, like St. John wrote the book of Revelation, the gospel of St. John, the epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. So how does John use a particular word in a particular context? That's how you determine meaning. But if you want to take things literal, I just got my Bible out today. Okay, let's turn to the chapter before Revelation 20. In Revelation 19 and verse 15, it depicts the second coming of Jesus, and it says, there's a great sword that comes out of his mouth. Do you take that literally? Uh, no, no one believes that that I'm aware of. Maybe somebody does, but you know 99.9% of Christians of all schools of prophetic thought would not say no that's literal but that's the chapter before it seems um seems very straightforward so is there a physical sword coming out of the mouth of Jesus it seems to indicate that if you take it very literally okay here's another one and this is probably more instructive let's go to the chapter after Revelation 20, Revelation 21, and we read in chapter 21, starting in verse 15, it's a picture of the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth. And in verse 16 of Revelation 21, it says that the length and the width and the height of the new Jerusalem is equal. Now, Are there gonna be walls around the new Jerusalem, 1,500 feet high? I mean, there wouldn't be very many nice views of the surrounding countryside because it'd be like a prison. And not only a prison with 25 foot walls, these are 1,500 foot walls and it's a cube. So are we gonna take this literally? Why not? Well, there's another way that might be more accurate than, to say, literal or not literal, and that would be, is it scriptural? In other words, why would the Bible, why would St. John use a depiction of a cube to describe the New Jerusalem? Well, if you search the Bible, like back in First Kings chapter 6, which maybe a lot of folks haven't read in a long time, It describes the most important cube on earth prior to the coming of the new Jerusalem. And that cube is that place in the holy temple called the Holy of Holies, which was a cube. And it was so incredibly holy that only once a year could one man, the high priest, go in there And with a rope around his ankles in case God wasn't happy with his sacrifice, he would be pulled out because he would be stricken dead. It is so holy, and now it goes from one man one time a year to the whole city is radiating holiness, not because of ourselves, It's because of the work of Christ given to us. So scripturally, we can come at Revelation 21 and don't have to play with the literal unless it doesn't make common sense. And what what basis are we saying this doesn't make common sense? We go to the Scriptures. And this is actually St. Augustine's strategy because he talks about those who take the first resurrection, Revelation 20, as a literal physical resurrection, and he then describes their view of the millennium. But this is what he says in City of God, Book 20 uh, and Chapter 7. It were a tedious process to refute these opinions point by point. I agree. We prefer proceeding to show that how that passage of Scripture, Revelation 20, should be understood, and how does he do that? using scriptures, not some literal sense, whenever it can be literal, and if not, you just come up with something else according to your subjective judgment. And I gave you, and this isn't from me, this is the this is the golden nugget. This is the diamond. This is the platinum that I got from reading St. Augustine and using John 5, verses 25 through 29 to interpret Revelation 20. And that's St. John interpreting St. John in the book of Revelation, and then also St. Paul in Ephesians 2, verses 5 through 6. And rather than arguing, should it be literal or not literal, use the scripture to determine the meaning. And this gets rough. You say, well, as a Catholic, we turn to sacred tradition. Well, There's a point to that, but here we're talking about a stage in church history where there's a sharp difference. The early church fathers were pre-mill until St. Augustine really put the dent in the Western church as far as what the future would be. So that's the claim that pre-mill is more scriptural isn't necessarily true. All right, number three, historic Premillennialism and the early church fathers were not the same, not the same as dispensational premillennialism, or to make it a little easier to understand, historic premillennialism. That premillennialism that we saw in centuries 1, 2, and 3 is not the same as the rapture fever premillennialism today. It is not the same. And so when they claim that the early church was pre-mill, because the rapture people are pre-mill, it is not the same type of pre-mill. It's a different school. Because historic pre-mill, the Christians go through the tribulation. What happens in the Amill view of St. Augustine? The Christians go through the tribulation. So at this point, it's similar. Uh, What happens after that, uh, when Christ returns, is it a golden age of the earth as we are living, or is it a new heavens and new earth? Well, as long as we make it through the tribulation, even though we have different schools of thought, uh, it'll all work out. But those who think they're going to escape all this, this is the rapture fever premill, this violates what the early church taught okay? The early church did not teach it, so they're not the same, even though they say, well, the early church was pre-mill, we're pre-mill, but they're a different kind of pre-mill. And there's people today that are historic pre-mill, some very well-known names in the evangelical world, Wayne Grudem. There's a scholar by the name of Craig Bloomberg. He's even written a book called a case for historic premillennialism, and it's not the same as the raptor at any moment type. Albert Moeller, who's president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, is historic premill, not dispensational premill. Russell Moore, who's a great social commentator who is president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist, uh, also historic premill. So Unfortunately, the historic Pre guys aren't the ones you hear on radio and TV teaching the prophecy, but the Catholic Church, in the tradition of St. Augustine, says in paragraph 675 before Christ's return, the church must pass through a final trial. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 254 of Luke 21 radio. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at luke21.com.